Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Velocity with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. This is how the show starts. I ask my guest who they are. So, pretty simple one to start. Who are you? I'm Brett Blake and I'm a stand-up comedian. Blakey, you've nailed that. You've, <laughs> you've done so much better at that than most people do. I'm Brett Blake. I'm a stand-up comedian. You kept it simple. You kept it considered. It was almost as if you were appearing in court or explaining it to a police officer. <laughs> yeah, I, I plead the fifth, which I don't even think is in our court systems we can even say that. I was rehearsing it in the car. I was like, don't fuck up. Start, Brett. You've got one job today, all right? And then the rest, you can just be a fucking idiot, you know? <laughs> it's funny. You were just talking to me off air about the fact that we I had forgotten this but you were reminding me of the fact that we have joked previously about the idea of you appearing on this podcast well the idea is so funny because my understanding of the pod and the things I've listened is like you know all these smart people come on and they give their opinions on life and it's like everyone learns about them and I'm like well what the fuck would I bring to the table so I thought it'd be fun like I think we were backstage riffing it was maybe me you and Cam Duggan like going well, what would Blakey's post to be like what James Fosdyke draws and it'd be like me looking over a magical sunset and it's just like and that's why a two-stroke motorbike is better than a four you know <laughs> something stupid like that I was like I've got great, nothing to fucking add no but the great thing is that for my audience it'd probably be the most original thoughts they've heard in the like 300 episodes you know everyone else is like you know be nice to people and all that you know like yeah. you know, follow your dreams and whatever you coming in with some practical advice about two-stroke versus four-stroke engines i was gonna say there'd be a lot of donations after mm. this podcast like guys we've got to donate to dyslexia this is yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of dumb people out there who can't read we need to fucking help them you know uh, so you talk about dyslexia. We can jump in there for a start oh, yeah? for people who don't know you. So Brett Baker is a stand-up comedian, a very funny stand-up comedian and uh, uh, really making some waves in the Australian entertainment industry at the moment. So it's nice to have you on this podcast on, on the way up, on the rise, Blakey. Um, well, some would say plateauing or going down, but yeah, let's go with up. Yeah, I don't know. Like, who knows? Who knows? Who knows when people are listening to this? It could all change so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you you mentioned dyslexia. Now, for people who don't know, you weren't just – that wasn't just a throwaway line. Like, we're introducing you to this audience a little bit that dyslexia has actually pay, played a part in your life, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I, um, uh, if you don't know what dyslexia is, it just means, like, words move around the paper and stuff and P's look like B's. It's a fucking nightmare. Um, so yeah, I grew up having dyslexia, which most people didn't know what it was back then until, you know, probably like an adult diagnosis or whatever. And then obviously a big part, um, is having ADHD as well, which is, you know, which you don't like to your things to define you, but they kind of fucking end up doing it. So yeah. Yeah, and the worst thing me. was that you thought you had DHAD, which was <laughs> even worse. Yes, yes, yes. The jokes are coming. They're popping, all right? We're going straight to number one on listener on this episode. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's also like I do find it funny is like – going, oh, this is your diagnosis, it's called dyslexia. And it's like, could you make a fucking harder word for us to spell or even look at, you know what I mean? It's, it's like the word restaurant, it cripples my mind. Yeah, I, I, could, I mean, it's like lisp, isn't it? Like impossible yeah. for a person with a lisp 
to say. Like, I didn't even it's think like, of that one. <laughs> it's like the that people who are in charge of language. It's like, how so... do we make them look more like a fuckhead? Um, as if they haven't had a tough enough week. Yeah, list. Yeah, because it's funny. Cause they can't... Yeah, 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 yeah. We got them. Yeah, we got them. Good. Got them again. rules. <laughs> Doctors, the original bullies. So, but, so what did that manifest itself? So talk to us about where did you grow up? Like where did you go to school? What were you like at school? How did, you know, dealing with uh, these undiagnosed things manifest in your life at the time? Um, well, I grew up in a, a, like a, a small town. I wouldn't say town, a small suburb, like a very suburban town called Forestfield, um, which is kind of inland from Perth and um, – uh, it's kind of was wouldn't say semi-rural, but I'd say like there was a lot of big properties with, you know, like horses and orchards and things like that. I mean, now it's kind of built up. We've got a KFC. Things are going pretty well. And uh, <laughs> mum rang me to tell me. She's like, Brett, we've got a KFC now. I was like, oh, fuck, I'll move from Melbourne. Um, <laughs> you know what? So it was called, was it called Forestfield? Forestfield, yeah. Yeah. So I grew up, uh, the nearest town to me was a place called Hayfield. And it feels like uh, at the time people just went around and going, well, well, that field's got some hay in it. This is Hayfield. This one's got some forest in it. This is Forestfield. People is, weren't really thinking story. through these then, names. Then they called F-O-R-R-E-S-T and then, then I assumed that's how you spelled forest and I still spell forest wrong to this day and it's like yeah I've multiply been fucked over by everything but um, it was it, it's a it's it's a rough-ish suburb it's yeah. very working class it's very close to industrial area it's at the bottom of a hill where a lot of um, you know, rich people lived up and they have like, um, and then down they'd have all their like kind of properties where they'd keep their animals and stuff like that. It's obviously now changed cause that was like 30 years ago. And, um, yeah, I grew up there and I went to a school called Woodlapine, which was, um, you know, interesting, I suppose. But, um, when you say interesting, what do you mean by, uh, I'd say it, it was, it's a, it was, I wouldn't say it was rough. The suburbs rough. It's a rough suburb. Yep. Um, it was quite fighty. <laughs> you know, you probably you probably saw a lot of things that you and which now to me are like at the time were pretty normal, you know, like seeing fights on street, people getting bashed after school and things like that. And like you kind of become desensitized to it. Does that make sense? And you're like, oh, that's fucking yeah, that's just normal. And then when you leave and then you go, Oh, that was fucking hectic. You don't realise how crazy the shit you've seen is until you leave. And what were you like in that environment? So little Brett Blake, is he fighting after school? Is he using humour to avoid fights? Is he like, like where do you fit into this, you oh, know, infrastructure? He's thriving. He's yeah. loving it. <laughs> <laughs> this is his element. This is his element. Now, I would say um, I liked the place because it kind of felt a little bit lawless. Um, we used to ride our, uh, our, like our, our BMX bikes around. We used to have jumps set up by the Creek. You know, we used to throw shopping trolleys into the Creek. There used to be these things called, they're not watermelons, they're pig melons. Mm. And you used to throw them on the road and watch cars hit them. And it was fun. It was yeah. so much fun. <laughs> um, but the problem was then like having fun, being a terror, you yeah. know, we creating flying foxes and, you know, getting into the occasional scrap here and there, um, but then going to a school environment is where it really, you know, that's where you, I probably, I didn't, I didn't go well. Mm. 
I, I struggle. No, a lot of those skills aren't transferable to the classroom. Like it's rare that a teacher says, okay, it's time to go out and throw a stone fruit at an automobile. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, can anyone jump this desk? I've got this. I've got this. <laughs> so were there, you know, then challenges within the schooling system? Like did you find it just – difficult to proceed through school or do, or were you able to kind of scrape by with your your wits and your charm? Um, I feel like I kind of was probably that's where comedy most developed. I mean, obviously the family, my family are full of fucking smart asses and that's kind of how we complement each other is by giving each other shit. But um, I'd say the schooling system kind of like, because I remember day one, day one I got, I think I got on in-school suspension on day one. So, because okay. <laughs> fucking hell, it's turning into the Brett's Cool podcast. Um, and here's something else I did, which is pretty awesome. So, what would have the in what what would that have been on day one? What could you have possibly done on day one to deserve day, that? Day one, Mum loves telling me this one, um, and she because I was I kind of did a show about. It was called Bogan Genius many yep. years later. But um, she goes, do you remember when you did this? And I was like, oh, no. But now I, now I do. Because year one we had two teachers because it obviously it's your first day in school. And we had to do like a basic exercise. And I can't remember what that exercise was. Was it was writing your name and your address or whatever it was. And then I remember because it was two teachers. And one teacher went and saw this other kid. And um, then she left and the other teacher came over. And said, oh, why haven't you done this to this girl? And she said, oh, the other teacher's coming back and um, she's going to help me with it. So she said, I didn't have to do it just now. And then that teacher went, oh, okay, and then left. So I was like, okay. (laughs) And I didn't know how to do the exercise and I saw that interaction. And then that teacher came up to me and said, oh, why haven't you done that? And I said, oh, the other teacher said that I didn't have to do it. Mm. And then she left and then the other one came over that and I just kept saying the other, and I just kept playing them off each other so I didn't have to do the work. And then, yeah, day one uh, was in the principal's office and my first lunch was sitting outside the principal's office. I mean, I think there's got to be an element of like if you're a teacher – Yes, you're pissed off, but you've also got to go – like maybe the reason you're at the principal's office on day one is the principal's like like new talent in like the AFL draft or something. Yeah. We've, we've got one. I've got to have a look at this kid who's worked it out already. He's hacked the system on day one. I've got to get him into the office. Also, imagine being tricked by a fucking five-year-old. Five-year-old. <laughs> or whatever He's the hell it is. A, run a real successful scam on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Both of you. Yeah. He's two, played not, you off against each other. Not one adult, two. And then, um, yeah, I remember sitting out the front of the office. It was like a demandable thing. And the the um the principal for the younger kids, she was quite nice. I think her name was Mrs. Little. She was a real sweetheart. She gave me a free pen. Like a nice pencil. Okay. With had all this which is kind of rewarding bad behavior when you think about it. Um, but then I sat out the front and then I remember all the teachers coming in on their lunch break and just looking at me going, Oh, here's trouble. And it kind yeah. of then it I think that kind of stuck, but also I kind of kept in that vein of I found read I, yeah, you didn't know what reading was and when they asked you to read out aloud, it was fucking overwhelming. 
And then spelling, I could never get right. I still don't know which there is the correct one. I just use one and you can fucking figure the rest out for yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Why do you have to bring it up? You know, the I, the, I just use the T-H-E-R-E and then it's your fucking problem. <laughs> yeah, get some context clues is what you're suggesting yeah. by which there I actually meant. I, you know what? That is a good point because in most cases when somebody gets, and I admit, I'm the sort of person that in the past would have probably got a little bit up uppity around the correct usage. But now I realize how ridiculous that is because if you can tell from context, like I will meet you there, you don't think, oh, no, you're talking about the possessive as in belongs to, I will meet you in the place it belongs to. Like that makes no sense. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> it's more effort to go, like, I'll meet you over there. Then go, actually, yeah. the one you used is the yeah. person because of the eye and you're yeah. like, Actually, I know? don't want to meet you anywhere because you're fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah, you're not my you. friend. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I'm going to meet some other guys. They're better than you. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. less judgy. <laughs> and it's like, man, I've given you all the clues. Like, let's not waste another 10 seconds of my life. And it's, all, it's funny when you even go, like, you talk about dyslexia or struggling to read. And no one ever fucking takes it on board and then go and they'll be like, uh, actually it's spelled this. And you're like, mm. shut the fuck up, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, so firstly, when it's undiagnosed, but do you know, do you think as an adult, particularly because you're a comedian and perhaps maybe, you know, you like make jokes about these things yourself or you play it off yourself, but do you think actually that it doesn't get taken into consideration. Like the fact that you are, I mean, because I know that I've, say, for example, worked on television shows or something where somebody might have, you know, dyslexia or, you know, some other thing that means that they need to see notes a lot earlier or they couldn't read something off an autocue if it needed to be enough. You know, you just have to do something else to consider that. And you don't think about it until you need to think about it. Do you... Do you feel like people do kind of ignore it or dismiss it or sort of laugh it off in real life or do they take it into consideration? I mean, because it's kind of my fault. I mean, yeah. well, you got to own a bit of it. It's like, well, I joke about it on stage. Mm. I joke about it with my mates. It's all very funny. Um, but then again, it's like I, I, I'm kind of lucky in the space you know, like, you know, I remember doing the thing with you before and, you know, I get the stuff a little bit beforehand. I just need a, like, I just need a little bit of notice for reading things so I can rewrite it phonetically how I would write. Is that phonetically the right word for that? Like, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. But so I just spell it and it's all spelt wrong, mm. but that's how I spell it. And so I know what that word means. So I've just got to do it my own way. And then I, you know, I still use the yellow paper. I still wear like yellow glasses at home sometimes because I find it helps. You just got to do whatever helps. But um, yeah, that's how I, I deal with it, I suppose. But. Okay. And how much of like, you know, I mean, because like as a comedian, the thing is always when you have some sort of like, so I, I do it a lot with my hip pain, which is that I make jokes about it. I tell these funny stories about, you know, my back and my hips and things that go wrong. And then it almost makes it – I think in a lot of the times that's a really fun way to deal with things. It's good. It offsets it. But it does also mean sometimes that the legitimate stress or pain or inconvenience that comes with it is minimized because you've joked about it, because you've made fun about it. When it is actually making your life much harder or fucking it up a bit, you – 
do you feel like sometimes you don't get that consideration? Like, I mean, you said, like you said, it's a bit your own fault, but at the same time, just because you joke about it doesn't mean sometimes it isn't just fucked to deal with. Yeah, I think that's kind of on us because we, we do that joking manner yeah. about it and then the other people around and go, well, he's fine, he's laughing mm. about it, but it actually, like, <laughs> even with ADHD going, oh, that's my fucking ADHD brain, like, I don't know where my keys are and I fucking, you know, like, and people are like, oh, he's just, you know, that's Brett, he's all over the shop sometimes with things and, like, my, my partner particularly has to pay a lot of attention, but by me joking about it, it kind of disarms it for people around it, which is good, which means people can talk about it. You can have a laugh about it. But in those moments that you're talking about, and I recently did it because I've got a bit of a back issue at the problem about the last year from an accident I had. And it's a bit of a nightmare. And I classically joke about it when I'm in and getting in and out of cars, like, oh, my back, you know what I mean? And I make a big deal like, oh, the old man's getting out or you have a laugh, but I'm like, I genuinely can't sit down for more yeah. than an hour. It's fucking, <laughs> yeah. do you know what yeah. a nine also out of 10 pain feels really, like? really hurts. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. the time. I can't yeah. sleep. It's yeah. really, really miserable. Yeah. The jokes are funny, but it's also terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you kind of, we do that to ourselves, but it yeah. kind of minimizes the, the fucking, you know, the whole situation. But, oh, well. I kind of okay. like, I like joking about things as well. I'm a comedian. I think it's funny yes. that I can't spell. Okay, so that, yes, so that you are a comedian. So were you always comedic? You say that your family's love language was hanging shit on each other. Was it just one of those things that you needed to develop? Did you have a particular interest in comedy itself? Like, you know, so what was the dream of like a teenage Brett Blake? What did what did Brett Blake want to be doing with his life? Well, when I, 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 I there's kind of like, I mean, there's two parts to this. So, well, Teenage Brett Blake was quite medicated, <laughs> so so that was a different kind of version of myself. Um, ADHD Brett was a, quite a pain in primary school, um, and to the point where I had to have um, dexamphetamine, and that kind of made me into kind of more of a cyborg, if you will, like. Mm -hmm. Um, which is kind of, I don't know, I feel, feel like I kind of maybe lost five years of my personality there. Um, but I feel also was quite necessary as well. And I totally understand why, um, you know, so I could concentrate and do stuff at school. Um, I'd say young Brett didn't have, I always compare the two. It's like pre primary school Brett and high school Brett. Cause they're mm -hmm. so fucking different. It's not funny. Yeah. But um, primary school Brett probably didn't give a fuck and just was happy with everything. I do remember wanting to be a clown because I I did enjoy getting laughs and in school because I couldn't do the stuff on the board, which was confusing. So I'd find other ways to entertain or be a part of the classroom situation or somehow be involved. And that was by being silly or being funny or, or, or whatever. But I remember seeing a clown um, in like year, maybe year one or year two at the shopping center, there was, there was two people who came to the shopping center. It was this guy who had heaps of snakes and, um, he just used to, and I don't even know if he had a fucking license. Like he just had all these snakes and he used to stand yeah. in the middle of the shopping center and he'd be like, yeah, that's a fucking Taipan and yeah. this is a great brown. And then he used to let us hold the snakes. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if they were poisonous, but, um. We used to hold these snakes and it wasn't like a fancy setup. It was, it kind of, yeah, it was, you know, yeah. a bit questionable. Yeah. And then I think some people complained about the snake guy. Yeah. And uh, so they replaced him with this clown and then the clown would get people up on stage and I got to go up on stage one okay. day and I fucking loved it mm -hmm. because he's like, wind this box 
three times. And uh, then I, I wound it five times, you know, <laughs> just to fuck with him. And then he's like, and then something different happened to what it was supposed to. And he's like, no, wind it three times. And he, he's trying to, do, I think he's trying to do a yeah. joke because something funny happens on yeah. three. But then I did it two times to fuck with him. <laughs> and then I finally did the correct number. And yeah. I, I felt like I was like, whoa, this is and everyone was like, that was a guy who was up there. So that could have been it. I've never thought about that till just that moment then. So, that, yeah, that could have been part of it. Yeah. But the love language in our family is, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably, we probably all need to go to therapy and get our um, communication skills a bit better. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're shit givers. Like, it's always, you're always on and you're kind of always ready for it. So does that like translate then into the rest of your life it feels like you have to build up some sort of protective layer like both with the medical stuff yeah. you know you've got to have a protective layer to deal with the fact that some of the stuff is confusing and you can't like you know say so comedy becomes that like mucking about becomes that but with the family it feels like your guards always got to be up for attack as well but also to attack back or maybe like does that then just become your working mode like you know out there in society like do you always feel like or is that just when you're around the family or in those circumstances I think it's actually and it's taken me a, a time in comedy to get to this spot it's um that being a <laughs> being constantly um not like shit given by your family is so much harder than your mates because your family know every single yeah. thing about you and they know who you are mm. so the attacks or the the shit giving is very personal it's yeah. very specific <laughs> but it's also fun because then you get to yeah. like well yeah okay you know, I got, I got circumcised very late and you were like year 12. I'm oh, sorry. not year 12. When I was 12 years old. Year 12, well, I got both yeah. are bad actually. It turns out 12 years old. Yeah. I got a late circumcision and my, um, and it was like, I was given shit about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, it, but it's a fun thing because you can make the things that are super personal about you, which most people would be like, Oh, don't, uh, that's kind of funny. And I think that's good on stage. The more you show, the more vulnerable you are, the kind of the funny you can be. I assume you've talked about the late circumcision on stage as part of one of your shows. No, like, never. This is never? actually the first time I've brought it up on any podcast. And I was trying oh. to grab a funny idea and I was like, fuck, that was the first thing that came into me. Mate, and now I was well, like, damn, I wish I didn't say that. <laughs> well, I, sorry. I'm glad that you've said it. You've definitely got to talk. You've got to tell me the story now. Was it a medical issue again? It was like was a medical a, issue. Like for yeah. a, a lot of people don't talk yeah. about it. Guys, I'm, I'm a truth breaker up here. Yeah. Um, I think maybe like one in ten, I don't know the fucking number, the 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 skin stops growing mm. but the penis keeps growing. So basically yeah. my, my dick was growing so out. massive my foreskin couldn't yeah. keep up with it. I mean essentially you grow out of your clothes. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mum needed to take the hem up, you yeah. know? Um <laughs> yeah. I'm just gotta loosen this out a little. It's yeah. growing. It's, it's my a growing boy's growing. It's a growing boy. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I mean, it is more common than you would think, but it is one of those things that people don't like to talk about. But the fact that you are tw like that age when you're yeah. going in to get some, like, you know, 
you know, some medical work on your downstairs area. Was that like something that only your family did know about or did your mates know that this was happening? Like how was that to deal with as a 12-year-old going in for a, a late circumcision? Because I'm just trying to imagine how my mates would have gone with me if I told them that I had to go in for a, a circumcision <laughs> at age 12. Yeah, it is. Pr- yeah. Um- <laughs> Well, for me, I was excited because the ADHD brain, it's like, what the fuck? I get to go yeah. to a hospital. There's all these people fucking, there's machines and shit. You know, there's like surgical gloves. You're fucking around with the stethoscope. You get to be drugged and all that stuff until the point. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all exciting. It's like an yeah. episode of ER or some shit until okay. the point where they actually cut a bit of your dick off and then you wake up you know, like not comfortable. Um, my family knew my kind of my friends. I think I've always been honest with all my friends and shit. I'm not a, I'm not a very secretive person, you know, like, and you, and uh, maybe I'll hold a secret about myself for maybe half a day, but I remember it was new year's and, um, I couldn't, and I New Year's was very big in our street because everyone would gather around, and they do like this, like a big fucking lamb on a spit. And it was like the, my favorite time of the year, the whole street would come out or your, fr- it would be the best night of your life. And, um, everyone's drunk, not, you know, adults or whatever. And, uh, I didn't want to miss that, but I couldn't, they said you couldn't walk around because obviously you got, you know, you fucking, it's not good if you know, could, you know, injure yourself or some shit. So they gave me a wheelchair. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> So, so I was just wheelchairing around this party and then mum goes, just say it's your, you had a yeah. hernia yeah, because it's near your groin, mm-hmm. which a hernia is like a fucking old man injury, which is now. Say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know that. So I was like, oh, yeah, I've got a hernia. And everyone's like, what? The? And I was like, and I think about after two hours, I was like, I got circumcised. They cut a bit yeah. of my dick off. I can't run around. I'm just in a wheelchair because my penis doesn't work or whatever. <laughs> It's quite comical when you think about it. I mean, what a incredible th- image, the idea that you were confined to a wheelchair and people like, – because people, of course, if they see someone in a wheelchair, the first thing they will ask is, are you okay? What happened? And then you have to just be like, oh, yeah, late, late circumcision. And it was just drawing, yeah, so much more attention. But mm. then also giving me the wheelchair was so dumb because I was like, we lived on a big hill mm. and we're like, let's see how fast we can <laughs> yeah. get this wheelchair. Down That's to the right. bottom, <laughs> and I remember like hitting the bottom of the curb and then flying out of the wheelchair and just praying I didn't land on my dick, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So okay, so when does like clown you you get touched by a clown or you wind up you know you work with a clown? <laughs> I wouldn't on... phrase it like that. Yeah, a clown <laughs> touched me up, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the clown, clown touched you. In your heart, I mean. In my like, not, ego. Yeah, exactly. In, but like then you go to high school and you you say that the medication made you a bit more like a cyborg. When you say like a cyborg, what do you mean by that? Well, I'd say like I'm, I was Mr. Personality. I was all, in primary school, mm. you know, I was always – I wouldn't say – I would say I was a cheeky scallywag. I was always in mm. trouble. I was – you know, the principal and my dad had each other's phone numbers. They were on first name basis. I – you know, I had a lot of fun and I was a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, you know, a bit of a shit stirrer and, you know, I was, I enjoyed it. 
And then there was a point where I couldn't enjoy it anymore. Like year seven, um, because my results weren't up, they didn't think I was going to make it to high school and stuff like that. Um, which was fucking sick. I don't have to go to high school. Great. <laughs> oh, my Lord, all my dreams are coming true. No more fucking reading, you know? And there wasn't shit like starting In your school. mind, you literally thought like, oh, no, they'll let me finish. Like, grade six, that'll do. Get out into the world. Yeah, yeah. He's a man now. Get out there, son. <laughs> Start providing for the family. Um. But then, the, yeah, they, I, because uh, no, no one knew fuck all about dyslexia, number one, and they didn't know anything about ADHD, number two, like to the point where they used to put us in like a, a class, which was to help people with learning difficulties or whatever. But the class, like it didn't help. They just played round the twist. You just watched round the twist for like two hours a day. It was sick. So there's no like, oh, okay, this is what this is and this is how we change fucking learning it's like oh this is how you learn if they can't do that they're fucking stupid yeah and uh, i mean also the idea of putting people with different learning difficulties in the same room and thinking that in any way would help any of them like when like you know it would have been a bunch of people with different things that were holding them back from their learning capacity and then just go they're all in general let's put them in the room an episode around the twist that'll yeah. sort them out. <laughs> and then it was kind of, I mean, it's a yeah. shit school. It was a poor school. You know what I mean? Like no one yeah. knew fuck all, but like the, the teacher they gave us wasn't even a teacher. It was just the mm. principal's wife used to just look after us <laughs> for two hours. Oh, no. And, um, she was just in there and like, would get chocolates and then mm. occasionally we'd be asked to spell something. And <laughs> it was just, it was just a class when I think about it now for all the shit kickers to give the teachers a break. Yeah. And they right. fucking needed it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I understand it from the teacher's point of view. It yeah. doesn't seem like a student-first program, but it does feel like a, <laughs> something that was looking after the teachers a little. So you were that person, all personality. Yeah. And then, yeah, so Cyborg, tell me about that. What happens? What's well, the flip? What's the, the transition? The flip is we went to um, – mum worked – mum was a um, – she's a teacher's assistant, was a teacher's assistant, and dad, dad worked in the mines. They were very – they were very good parents. I was very lucky. They cared more. Like most parents, most kids' parents in my school didn't give a fuck about them. Like they were never fed or they'd be running around the street at nine o'clock at night. I had very good parents and they would, they would always try their hardest to do whatever they could do. So they took us to like this, um, uh, this doctor called, Do- I think his name was Dr. Wall or something like that. And um, he was like the best guy for behavioral things. And then he diagnosed me with ADHD, which is fair um, and, uh, then, um, the, they, I got, they put us on a crazy, crazy amount of dexamphetamine. Like we've all, I mean, most people have done dexies before in their life in one way or another. Um, they gave me six dexies as a fucking in year seven, which is so, so much when you think about it. Yeah. Um, but you got to go with what the doctors say. You know, I mean, what the fuck would my parents know? They're not doctors and stuff. Um, and I, I, the easiest way to describe it is is the same way you do drugs right now. So, like, if you were to have MDMA or speed or or ecstasy, do you remember that feeling you get where it's kind of a little bit euphoric and you kind of get a little bit more emotional slightly? Um and as in like, oh, I love you, man. Fuck, this is the best night of my life. Mm-hmm. And you get that. And then you also get this, um, 
sense to of like to please and to make everyone happy. Like that's just a natural side effect of the drug. So it kind of really pushed my personality down of this, uh, you know, a loud, abrupt person. I was still loud and abrupt, but I was kind of more like um, re- recessive, I want to say. I don't know, like, I don't know how to, what the, what the correct word is. I'd, like more like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's fine. Okay. You know, as opposed to fuck you. Um, which was and did, gone, you, yeah. did you find that oh, – like how much was that helpful to have that aspect of, you know, like to be able to, you know, fit in with things and learn versus how much of it was holding back, you know, who that's, you truly are? That's, that's a very good question because Forestfield High School is one of the fucking roughest high schools mm. and it was really tying my hands behind my fucking back. Mm. It was, you know what I mean? I, 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 needed, I needed primary school Blakey to, to go in there swinging, you know? Um, and kind of just put, you know, go, Hey, it's, you know, it's that, I feel like, and it sounds stupid, but I mean, you never went to this school. I mean, you know, people never went to this school so that you don't know. It's a, it's a fucking rough school. It's violent. It's lots of fights. Adults would come into school and fight kids. It was fucking hectic. Um, so I wish I had that part of me, but also it allowed me to calm down and kind of maybe focus a little, not focus, but be able to concentrate on school and understanding. And that's probably where I did the most amount of learning. So it did have its pluses and it did have its minuses. But, um, you know, some days, I, you know, it's, I always say that school was like sit walking into a jail when you see those movies. It's like you kind of need to get into a fight quickly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and some days I didn't take my medication mm. and that would happen. And But you were kind of – you're medicated as well and Dexies don't – like I lost so much body weight because you're not hungry. So you kind of end up having a skinnier frame as opposed I was quite a more of a solid dude in primary school. So there's a lot of factors that, I mean, there's always a lot of factors and everything, but that kind of, and I don't know whether it was a positive or a negative um, thing yet. I mean, it was probably a positive I'd say, because it probably, I, I honestly think, and I, w- I would have had a h- much harder life or be doing something completely different if I wasn't medicated. So I'm right now I'm sitting in a nice studio speaking to Will Anderson. So the correct decisions have been made. So what do you think? Let's like hypothesize just for a second. We don't have to get yeah. too deeply into it, but like where, where could have life taken you? If, if it hadn't taken you to where we are today, what were some of the other, like, I mean, you know, what, what other paths were there, you know, for a young kid like Brett Blake, go, like living in an area like that, going to a school like that? What did the future look like if it hadn't ended up where it's ended up now? Well, the thing is, I kind of did get a glimpse into the future because um, on weekends, I'd never, I didn't have to take the medication or whatever. Okay. So that was the rule. So I always said, like, I've got four close friends, four or five close friends. Well, you know, some of them have since passed away and stuff like that. Um, and they kind of know my personality because they got to see me, they got to see weekend Brett. So they, Mm. they're still four of my closest mates. Um, yeah, we were, I got to see it one weekend. We used to like causing chaos, you know, in a fun way, you know, we used to break into the primary school. So the alarms would go off and then the cops would come and then we'd find that funny and because we're running away from the cops on the weekend, how hilarious is that? And we knew the suburb better than everyone, so we'd get away from them, or we'd wait on the oval, 
and, you know, the cops would try and come onto the, the oval in a certain area because we'd be standing one side. But we knew there was a long jump pit there full of soft sand and they'd drive the cop car into it. The car would be bogged. Hilarious. We're having I mean, the best weekend of our life. This is good stuff. I mean, <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. This is just kids besting the police. Like I am. Yeah, yeah this is fun. Man, and there was so many good, like, I, I, did, I genuinely had fun. There was so many good, like, there was forests close by and, like, we knew yeah. every street and we were on foot, so we would always get away. We would, you know, and it, it was so much fun. Like, we'd steal, you know, stupid things like trampolines because it would be so funny. Like, imagine stealing the world's biggest trampoline and then we'd go put it back two weeks later and just fucking watch the guy's head yeah. explode. Like it was, it was fun. You know, it was like, I, I, when people, you see stuff on the news and people are breaking and stuff, I, it's just because it's just, you're so fucking bored in these suburbs. There's nothing to fucking do. Like, what do you do? You just get drunk in your mate's shed and then you go cause some shit. So, you know, if someone comes in and fucking, you know, knifes my tires in my street, I live in at the moment, I go, yeah, well, that's pretty funny. I can see it's annoying, but yeah, I probably would have done something mm. similar. Right. Um, but I did get to see uh, kind of a side of me that could have gone down the path that my parents probably knew. And um, when I was, uh, oh, fuck, when I was 16, and this is probably the story which I, I don't know whether it can go in or not, um, we're bored, we're drunk, we used to wind up the cops. There had been a lot of... Um, the weeks leading up to this, there'd been a lot of um, police presence at parties and things like that. And um, like one weekend, I remember we were all at this football club and I think someone broke into the place or whatever. But anyway, there was a big party. We we're all drinking and, you know, a security guard rocks up, which is so fucking dumb. In a, in a, I think it was like a, a Toyota Yaris or something embarrassing, you know, like we're all petrol heads as well. And I remember the car just got like bottled and then maybe pushed over, mm. which is, <laughs> this is why some parts of my life are hard to explain <laughs> yeah. to, uh, you know, like, oh, that's funny. And you're like, no, it's not funny. But at the time it was funny. Oh, and you can understand to a mob of, you know, drunk teens having a, you know, that sort of party, the idea of, I mean, we, we see mob behavior all the time, right? Like it, it, it manifests itself like, People who would ordinarily act in rational ways, who in the cold light of day wouldn't tip over a Yaris, in the middle of that mob, like at the time, it all feels like a great idea. I mean, people tip cars after, you know, sporting events. In yeah. Philadelphia, they have to grease all the traffic, like the traffic poles <laughs> and like signs in town, like after big events, because people climb them and chuck shit and like whatever. So they grease them all up so people can't climb them. So that like, is yeah. It, yeah, this, yeah, this sort of kind of mob behavior that people, th I mean, of course, at the time, you would think that was funny. In retrospect, it's not. And it's horrible to that security yeah. guard who was just rocking up in his Yaris trying to do his job and, it, and then gets like, you know, it, pelted and like gets the car tipped over by a bunch of rowdy teens. It's not great from his perspective, but you can understand that this is like, I never stole a car when I was a kid, but I had heaps of mates who are now very lovely, wonderful, respected members of the community who nicked a car when they were kids where I lived. That was part of what people did. And and 
you know, you just kind of the kids like you're working out what to do, and you you were living in a much sort of kind of like rougher, lawless environment than the one that I was raised in. You know, it it, it happens. Yeah. So I don't actually find that story confronting necessarily. Oh, well, well but, you ha- we haven't got to the confronting oh, okay. story yet. That's, oh, okay. I'm All just right. I'm this just, is just fucking, warm up. This I'm is wetting just, your whistle. I'm, okay. My I'm whistle giving you is a wet, little and bit. I think because, so far we're fine. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just trying to like just gear you. Like we're in first and I'm going to take <laughs> okay. you to fifth, okay? okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm like, okay. oh, if you think me pushing over a fucking Yaris is. Yeah. Um, no. Um, so that's kind of the vibe of this week's leading up to this event that oh, I'll, I'll okay. talk yes. about. So, cause it kind of all plays into it. And then obviously <laughs> the cop, the cops rocked up yes. and pretty much the same thing happened to the police. Like there's a group of a hundred oh. junk, young dickheads mm-hmm. and we never had any respect for the police. I know it's cool <laughs> now like to be like, fuck the police, mm-hmm. but back then it probably wasn't. And you know, the, the car got, you know, bottled and blah, blah, blah. Not that I was necessarily involved in any of that, but you're just around it going, oh yeah, that's happening. And that's kind of, so you technically, you're a part of it. Mm. Um, and then a a week, you know, then more, we we all fucking ran away, obviously cowards didn't stay and fight the police, whatever. (laughs) No, I believe you made the right choice in that situation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) And then, um, the week later there was like another big Uh. party and then something similar happened. And then it was like the police got kind of mocked two weeks in a row and the news were all over it, reports of, you know, young, you know, youth being tear away, the police not having control. And that just fucking feeds into it because then all of a sudden the police look like police look like fuckheads and the youth feel like they're getting away with shit, so they feel like they have control of a situation. Um and so then the weekend after was a, was a party and I wasn't meant to go to this party because it was too far up the hill. We had no way to get up there. Um, but yeah, then a mate stole his mum's car and we decided to go to this party and it was the same situation. No one was invited to this party. We just hang, we just wanted to fucking be a part of something and hang on the streets, drink, you know, like, were you at that party on the weekend? Yeah. We were drinking and the cops were there. It was crazy. We loved that story. We didn't necessarily want to be a part of the story, but we loved the idea that we were there. There was fucking police. The energy was electric. There was a fight. You're like, fuck yeah, what a cool weekend. Nothing else exciting happens. So you may as well be there. And we went to this party and there wasn't like, there was a party and we were kind of in the street before it, just drinking, you know, like fucking hoodlums. Like I think we we're like 15 or some shit. And someone had called the cops pretty quickly and then they were on hyperdrive because of the weeks leading beforehand. And within two minutes or three minutes, there was police and then there was a riot squad, like full, what you'd see in a fucking jail or some shit, Mm -hmm. you know, like full TRG set up shields. And they're in a, in a line coming towards us within like the space of five minutes. It's fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people at that party didn't react well. And I was probably, you know, I, well, guilty of it. Um, some people were throwing bottles. Some people were just kicking, you know, letterboxes over, just being fuckheads or whatever. But the line kept going and the police were, I feel excessively violent and which ex- escalated. So they became were violent and pushing and hitting people and shielding people. So then bottles got thrown at them. 
And then it just kept escalating and escalating and escalating and escalating. And I saw a female friend of mine and I, at, to this point I was just chilling and kind of like, this is funny, you know, walking back with the line, you know, yelling shit and just being a smart ass, but not actually being involved. And then I remember a police officer like fucking hit a female friend of mine with a, a, the shield, like so fucking hard. I just still remember the sound. And I, this is where it sucks to have ADHD because at, people think ADHD is like, oh, it's a squirrel, a laser. But it's also, you kind of, um, you, don't, you don't have much impulse control. And by the time everything happens and the dust is settled, you're like, what the fuck? It's like someone has taken over. Mm-hmm. And, and I find that with every time I was in a fight or whatever, it would just, things would just happen. And then 10 minutes later, I'd be like, what the fuck was that? And that kind of kicked in and I, uh, I picked, and I'm not proud of this. And I, um, I picked up a brick and I threw it at a police officer. Um, and I, I got him real bad. Um, mm-hmm. and I ran away from the situation. I got the girl out of the situation, ran away. And then a few other things happened, which I didn't quite understand what was happening. There was people, you know, it was fucking chaos, there's flares, there's people getting bashed on this fucking street. It's like a, it, it's a riot. <laughs> it's a fucking riot. It's chaos. No, no, it definitely sounds like it was a riot. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. you know, and then, you know, I'm a little bit drunk as well and I don't, you know, and, and you know, it just kept escalating and escalating and then eventually, like, people were obviously getting arrested and... Like I was trying to get away from the situation. Um, and I remember like kind of running through this forest area, which I didn't really know the area too well. And there's like me and two other people. And then I just, got, I, I remember being on the road and then I got spear tackled by someone. And then like within a matter of like two seconds, there's just, there's like five police officers on me. Most of them just kicking the shit out of me, yelling "Stop resisting," which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, they they can tell a joke too. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. five adults kick a teenager and say "Stop resisting." resisting. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. I mean, and I deserved it. So you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it's pretty funny to be in that situation and going like, "He's resisting. Yeah. He's resisting." And there's no fucking phones and shit now. So it's just right. you're copping elbows to the face and the head and. You know, you fucking the cuffs are tight, and you're getting the shit kicked out of you. Yeah. And then I got, I got thrown into the, a paddy wagon, and like the the riots were still kind of happening around, and it kind of all settled down. And there was like, there must have been like six people in the back of this paddy wagon, and um, I still remember it because it's kind of funny and it's kind of deserved. The the cops were like, they knew that we were the probably the people that did it, and they. And I didn't know at the time until kind of that moment that the police officer I hit with a brick, I think I broke their arm, Okay. Um, which is fucking not cool, obviously. Um, but the police were kind of like, you guys are the problem. And it, people would think, you know, oh, okay, well, you're arrested. You're going straight to court. No, 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 no. This is a, this is a, <laughs> this is a different su- suburb. So they drove us out to a paddock and they got us all out of the car. And they had all headlights around them. There was like just 10, 15 police officers, some of them in right gears. And we're just all handcuffed behind the back and we're kind of in a dusty circle and they're just fucking screaming at us like, who did this? Who did that? You think you're fucking tough? And it was fucking petrifying. Um, But also you kind of still ramped up from the adrenaline. So you kind of like, 
fuck you. But then they're like, what did you say? And I'm like, nothing, nothing. Because no. <laughs> you're still 15. You're like, I'm a man. Yeah, no, totally. I'm not. I'm not a man. I'm not a man. I'm a boy. I'm a boy. I'm 15. All of a sudden, you quickly remember how old you are. Yeah, you're right. You're both things. You're like, I have no impulse control. Also, I'm 15. I'm a boy. I'm a boy. It's Where's like my I'm, mommy. Yeah, you do, you do a man move to mm. another man. You throw something yeah. at him and then you, I'm a man. And then when they get you and they're in the position of power, you're like, I'm a boy. I'm a boy. Get me out of here. I need my mom and um so that kind of happened and they're just kind of scaring you and fucking nudging you and you know you know just they're just doing what pretty much anyone would do in that situation i feel and then we get into the back in the cop car uh, cop paddy wagon and then obviously uh we head to the police station in uh perth um shout out to the perth police station (laughs) and um and you know we're not the favorite people there no. You know, no one's like, oh, do you want a phone call or you want a cup of coffee? Um, it was quite the opposite. They put, I remember, like, I remember two parts of it. Like, I remember, I think they knew, they were targeting me because I think they knew what I had done. Um, and then they made it very, and as you would, made it very hard for me when I was in there. They were quite, I remember everyone got to go into their own jail cell because we're all underage. But I remember I got, they're like, no, 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 you're going into this other one. And I was in a room with a guy who would have been about 30 and was fucking drunk out of his mind and pissing blood and punching walls and just acting like an absolute psychotic. And I had to go sit in the room with him and like they removed all the mattresses and turned up the air conditioning. Very funny. One all boys. Um, and, uh, yeah, sitting in that and just going, I'm going to get the fucking shit kicked out of me. But he he was just doing his own thing. I think he was, the person he was fighting was a demon in his head. You know, he was probably on the pipe or something. And um, I just sat in the corner for like maybe four or five hours and just tried not to move. And just like, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, no one came and checked and stuff. And I think, and then eventually it was maybe around 4 a.m. They said, uh, your mum's coming. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> fuck. It's like, who do you want? Do you want dad yeah. who's going to scream at you? Or yeah. do you want mum who you've, who's the nicest lady yeah. in the world you've and you're disappointed. upset? You've disappointed her. Yeah, yeah. You've, that's, you've broken her heart. That's yeah. right. Dad's yeah. going to fucking whop yeah. you, but mum's going to cry, which is probably the worst thing you can <laughs> yeah, experience. That's right. Yeah. You yeah. know, you know, like, um, and lucky for me, they were both there. <laughs> so I got both. Nice. Um, and then um, there, there was like a sergeant there, and I don't, I don't remember much of this interaction, but this interaction became very important later, and I didn't know. So a lot of the kids got out. Their parents came. Some of their parents didn't come. And, you know, rough suburb. A lot of them had been in jail before. Their parents were annoyed to come pick them up at 4 a.m. A lot of, like... One kid I remember, his name was Trent, and he goes to his mum, why the fuck are you crying? And then just walked out. And then my parents were in next to get me, and mum was obviously devastated, you know, nicest woman in the world, um, crying. And dad's dad's looking at me like, number one, it's 4 a.m., you fuckhead. It's yeah. the weekend. That's, that, is, that hasn't helped. But number two, not angry, which is scary. Cause then it's like, what is he thinking about? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, if it's not anger, it's like, well, anger, I'm used, you know, you can deal with that. It's an mm. equation. 
dad angry, seen it before, know what to do. Dad yeah. quiet, I don't know what to fucking do here. This is, this is, I don't know. And I remember mum crying and I remember the first thing I did, I was like, oh, fuck. And I just, I remember hugging mum and saying, like, I'm sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. They take us home, you know, and then I've got to go to court. And um, I've been charged with uh, inciting a riot and assaulting a public officer, which are very serious, mm. um, very serious charges. Really serious. But yeah. like inciting a riot, I think, is an overstatement. It felt like the riot was well and truly going by the time you got involved. But <laughs> Yeah, but you got to fucking blame someone, Will, don't you? <laughs> I guess so. But I don't know. Maybe you don't blame the teenage kid who's like you're medicating five days a week and then just letting him not take his medication for Releasing two days a week. Releasing the hound, you know? And then getting back onto the medication five <laughs> days a week, which is, as we all know, the best way to take medication nothing better than a five-day speed bender followed by two days of being <laughs> off it and left to your own devices i'm sure nothing's going to go wrong in that scenario and and once again no one to blame but myself on that one because that was the only condition i would yeah. continue taking the drugs was that to was have your the agreement that was your my terrible agreement that my, I was, yeah. yeah i put myself in this situation yeah. and i have to fucking deal with it um and you know that week was very quiet as in like for me, as in like fucking, I remember the silence in the house was fucking awful. And um, so we had to have meetings with lawyers and shit and go to like, you know, and this is a world that my parents aren't probably used to. Um, and like we had to do like action plans and they're kind of telling me that I will probably go to jail, like juvenile justice, because it is fucking serious and at the end of the day is like, if you, it may be the right, you could get away with, you know, I was drunk and silly, but you've, you've assaulted a public officer, which is so fucking serious. Um, and I, the, the word was, and I, I was, you could face up to 10 years, which is the maximum I'm assuming. And I may have changed that, you know, could have been five. I don't know, but I just remembering think by the end of that mum being so devastated thinking I was going to go to juvenile justice or something like that. Yeah, because um, I assume the cop's not going to go, oh, it's okay. I actually bashed one of his friends and he was, you know. <laughs> yeah, we got him out of the car yeah, we scared what, the fuck out saying. of him. So, yeah, you know, we're fine. kind of it feels, even. Feels you know? like it's even. We took him to a paddock and yelled at him. So I think yeah. everything's fine, right? I remember going to the, the lawyer as well. I was like, look at all these fucking bruises they did to yeah. me. And they're like, let's not go down that path. No. Like, let's just, you know what I mean? We Let's 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 go on the angle where mm. we're fucking, we fucked we're up. We're sorry and we decided we know what we're, yeah. yeah. Okay, which I think, yes, look, there's no, like, as a young kid in that situation, there's no advantage in going up against the cops or starting a bigger fight than the one that you're already in. You've got to... Yeah. This is good lawyer advice, I would suggest, in this situation is let's... You know that fire that's right there? Let's not throw some petrol on it, I reckon. Yeah, and I wish I had kind of had more moments Mm. in that in my life right now because sometimes I end up representing myself in court for smaller things because I like to double down. I'm like, nah, fuck them. You're going to go me? I'm going to go you. And I got to remove the petrol from my life sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know who can get me out of this? The same idiot who got me into it. (laughs) 
guys. Wait till the weekend. That's when I'm very clear-minded and yeah, not going to make any yeah, dumb decisions. Yeah, get back to you on Saturday. Yeah. I'm still on the same medication schedule. I've just never been able to – I like to I like to take medication like a Nirvana song. It's just like slow, 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 and then just real hard, real quick. Um, okay, so at this time you talk about, I mean, the reason we were telling this story in the first place is that you, this is a turning point. Like people talk about these turning points in your life, but this is a major time where you have a look down the barrel of the idea of here's how my life could go. I could be, you know, I could end up in prison. I could end up with this like permanent criminal record. I could be like, you know, this could be me. This is who I could become. Like this is the path that I could go down, right? And it's funny to find the comedy in everything is, you know, cause kind of what we hope to do is going like the reason I was medicated. Cause they thought not would have used those words, but I probably would have been down a harder path. And, you know, like if you said, Oh, you know, if you don't medicated, you could end up in jail. No one ever said that, but that was kind of the impl- implication. But it's funny to be like, Hey, I was medicated and I'm still maybe going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> I did it, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hacked it. I, mean, I hacked the system. I, yeah. um, everyone was wrong and I was correct. No. Um, but I – so then we had to, you know, have meetings with lawyers. I had to do, you know, like I started doing community service before the court date so it would look good on your paperwork and then – I, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but I had, I had to donate $200 to – um, uh, you know, like when a, a cop loses it, you know, a cop passes away, goes to their spouse or their widow oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, sure. But then that was to earn the $200, you, you know, I just, you know, my parents don't hand out fucking nothing to me. So I was, I mowed like 50 lawns, you know what I mean? Like I really had to earn it that $200 to, to give to them. And by the time, and then I, I thought, I thought you were honestly about to say then to earn that $200, I had to do some more crimes. <laughs> and so <laughs> I had to sell my Dexies. It was the only way. Yeah. So I, technically I was off all meds because I was selling them to other kids in yeah. high school. <laughs> if only young Brett knew how much money he would make at festival club. Yeah. Um, oh my God. I'd be speaking through a golden mic. Um, <laughs> Okay, so there's this point in your life where you're looking down the barrel of how it could go. Mm. How does how do you find what happens? What happens from there on? Like you know, what happens next? Um, what happens next is the the cop who I assaulted, or the sergeant, or I don't know who it was. Um, well, the sergeant, I do remember it was a sergeant. I had to have a meeting with the sergeant. I think that's mm. the guy I hit with the ar- the arm, or it could have been someone else. I get okay. scattered to who that is. I just remember there was a broken arm. And, I, and I'm pretty sure it was the same cop or it was a fractured arm or some shit like that. And um, I had to have a meeting with him, the guy I assaulted, and which is fucking in, intimidating because he wanted to sit in a room and have a sit down with me. And I was like, oh, fuck. And then the lawyer was like, you have to do it. It's a good idea to do it. And my dad's like, you're fucking doing it. You've done something wrong. You need to correct it. And you're not going to enjoy it, but this is part of it. You you made a decision, and this is part of your fucking repercussions. Yeah. This is a genuine consequence of your actions, and yeah. this is a reasonable consequence 
of yes. your actions. That the person that you've done harm to, regardless of the situation, gets to like you know at least express that harm to you. That that seems reasonable. Like if that's good advice from your parents. I can imagine as you a kid must be like the scariest thing of all though, because you lob a brick from a distance. You know what I mean? Like you're not up close at the best yeah. of the times. Like the idea of being that close to the person you've done harm to must be very confronting. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty close with the brick. Um, okay. <laughs> it was, pretty, okay, well, it was yeah, it wasn't too okay. far. There's All a right. reason why they saw me. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. The, sure. But yeah, I know the, the the message you're trying to say, I get that. It's like you've got to, it's put a face to the thing, you know, because yeah. behind a riot shield and a helmet is still a police officer who's a person who has a family, a dog. They're still fucking people. And when you like, when you see shit about people bullying online, it's such a, I know it is a coward move because. You you gotta if you can't stand to the, into the front of that person and say it into their eyes, then you shouldn't fucking say it at all. And now I'm faced with a moment where I've done something that's fucked, and I got to see oh police as a as a a big an idea a big an mass idea. yeah not individuals they're a group yeah and now I get to meet the individual mm. who I fucking did I did something fucked to, and we sit down and he's actually pretty fucking cool. The go- I remember going like, he's hard. He's like an old cop. He's probably 50, you know, nearly retired type vibe, knows his shit, um, has seen it all. It's Midland Police Station was where we met. And, it, you know, Midland Police Station fucking sees everything. Um, and um, we sit down, we start chatting, and, and it wasn't about the thing at all. I don't even think the thing got brought up. Brought up. And he just, you know, it was like, we ended, I don't know, we just end up talking 15 minutes about nonsense and life and I don't know, it was quite nice. Um, but also by the end of it, I, it really made me put, made me go like, what the fuck have I done? Like to this guy, what the fuck were you thinking? He's just a dude with a wife and kids who's at work and he's actually a nice guy. Fuck, you know, like I would love to, right now, in my, my, if I met a guy like this, I'd love to have a beer with him at a pub. You know what I mean? I feel like he'd be a good energy. And um, so he's the guy who's pressing charges because obviously I've assaulted a police officer. It's the ball's in his court. And then we go to the court date and I'm like, you know, fucking nervous. And also this is a quite a highly publicized case. It's mm-hmm. on the front of the West Australian newspaper. I have reporters hanging out the front of my house. It's fucking intense. I have... Um, there's a current affair kind of following us around everywhere. It's, it's pretty, I, yeah, I really take my hats off to my parents for this situation that I put them in. Um, it's an, it's an intense week or two and they kind of hurry the court date along because minor press, all that shit. And I remember going in and I remember being like, you feel like, you know, not OJ Simpson trial, but there's like, there's cameras and there's fucking, you're going through a storm of people to get into the court. And then I'll add in because you're obviously a minor. And then we're sitting around with all these other kids who I was like, oh yeah, that's a guy who told his mum to go fuck himself. And they're all dressed in Adidas and not giving a fuck. And their dads look like they don't give a fuck. They're all slobs and probably unemployed and all that shit. And, and, um, mum and dad were like so embarrassed. They were in suits and nice dress. And I had to wear a suit. We never had a suit before. I had to get a fucking suit. And, and, you know, the judge was like, 
just whatever you do, always say your honour. And I still remember that now, even when I represent myself. Mm-hmm. Always wear something nice, <laughs> tie the mullet back and always say your honour. Because no one ever says your honour. And they've, yeah. they've done a lot of things to get their job there mm-hmm. and you're in their fucking domain. So tip your hat. And we'll take yeah. your hat off first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely take your hat off. Absolutely <laughs> like take you your hat off. Keep your hat on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They hold a lot of fucking power. Um, they they really do. And I think people yeah. take that. Like, they can yeah. really fuck your life up. That's or, right. Stand up when they come into the room. So yes. you're on <laughs> Oh, so many people, like, chewing gum. You're like, I, because I what when you I, doing, you're going to wait your turn to go yeah. in, you know, for parking fines and shit like that. I'm just like, yeah, he's done. He stands up chewing gum. He's fucked. He's not going to get off. You know what I mean? Like, you can just tell straight away. And, um, so I stand up and, you know, I have, the lawyer, um, has all this fucking soulless shit that he says, you know, that's just a lawyer's job. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, this happened, blah, blah, blah. That's what he's there for. He doesn't give a fuck. And they, I, I think I had an opportunity to speak and I had something maybe prepared, which was like, you know, this is, this is not the person who I am. This was a fuck up. I'm, I'm a scallywag, but I'm not a, I'm not a, that, that moment is not me. Um, it is in a way as I will always defend my friends. Um, and that's probably why I reacted the way I did. Um, I always put other people first in those situations, but I, that, I don't, that situation, I don't, you know, I don't think you should throw or hurt someone. Um, and, uh, said my piece and then the cop who I had the meeting with was sitting across there and he got to say his piece. And I thought it was going to be bad as in like, you know, well, fuck this guy. And, you know, but it was the opposite. He kind of said everything the judge wanted to hear. I've had a sit down meeting with this guy. This is not the guy. He has made a mistake. He, he's remorseful. And then he brought up and he goes, and he goes, the one thing I knew about this kid was when we pick him up from, his mum came to pick him up from lockup and his mum was crying and every other kid told their parents to fuck off or whatever. He didn't use those words but he hugged his mum, and that's the moment I knew he wasn't a bad kid. And he kind of put this emotion into it. And that, that's why I was like, that situation was so important before. And, um, like he kind of was arguing for me to get off Mm. and, um, and the judge, you know, everyone heard their bits and bobs and the judge was super lenient, but also pointed out how serious like assaulting a police officer is. Mm And was, you know, like, hey, these are the maximums you can have. Right now you are potentially looking down the barrel of going to juvenile justice and then eventually, potentially, an adult prison. And I don't know whether that's fucking full of shit, but I would assume if you assault a cop, you'd end up in jail. Mm. Um, or they were trying to scare me or whatever. Um, and I just remember going, fuck, I'm going to jail. And, like, I'm going to jail. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I pleaded guilty. And they said, you know, obviously you're guilty. And then they, um, instead of sending me to jail, which was still so grateful, I had like, they gave me six months, um, good behavior community. I don't remember the exact charge. I was just, I was so happy that I didn't have to go to jail. Mm. I, re- I still remember that moment. Like, I, I think I was fucking crying. You know, I think mom was crying. I think dad was crying. I think we're all crying. Um, and uh, I just had to do, you know, like community service. I couldn't leave the house after a certain time and, there was all these fucking weird rules, but whatever it was, I didn't have to go to jail. And I remember being just so fucking happy and going like, it's so scary that one moment of your life can really fucking dictate how the rest of it's going to go. 
And if it went that path, I don't think I would be here now. I'd be doing something else. Hopefully it would be something good. Um, cause I, you know, I think I still have at the end of the day, I've got a good soul, but I wouldn't be, you know, in a nice studio having a chat to you on a, on a, a podcast that people love. You know, I don't think I'd be as happy as I am today. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it, that someone can give you a chance. And, you know, you look at those other kids in their tracksuits with their parents who didn't give a fuck, clearly. Like, they didn't have much of a chance, right? Like, if you're a kid raised by a parent who, you know, won't get dressed up when they're taking you to court or won't get you a lawyer, like, you know, it's hard to blame the kids for the shit situation that they've found themselves in. And, you know, by the way, I'm not going to necessarily judge the parents because I don't know what their shit situation they found themselves in was as well either, but... That's the problem with general, like people go, oh, these fucking people from these shitty suburbs or whatever, but you don't understand. And it's like, it's generations of fucking not given a second chance or third chance or fourth chance. It's not about the first, it's, you know, sometimes people need five or six chances. You've got to yeah. keep giving people a go. And people in these areas are brought up rough and they don't know the same things. Like I live in Melbourne right now, which is such a fucking bubble. And the people I'm around, I'm like, how the fuck did you, you grew up like that. It's baffling to me. But I can, when I see people who go down a tough path or a rough path, I can, I get it because I, that could have easily potentially been me. And it's so important to keep giving people goes and going out of your way to help people, you know? Yeah. And everybody in the world fucks shit up. I, yes. I, like, you know, sometimes the, the difference is, you know, there's 15 year old, you know, teenage boys getting themselves into a lot of trouble at the $100,000 a year private schools as well. But their dads have lawyers or are lawyers or are barristers or have a connection at the police department that means that they never end up in that courtroom. But they're still doing like it's not it's not like that is socioeconomically related to like, you know, teenage boys, teenage girls, adult men and adult women fuck up all the time. We all make mistakes. And so, yeah, that opportunity that someone gave you to choose a different path, but you embraced it clearly, like, cause you clearly decided that you needed to find some other purpose for your life. So what happened? What did you throw yourself into at that point? Um, nothing, nothing <laughs> exciting. I mean, you would, we would yeah. love a turning point to wrap this up. Like, and that's when I discovered stand up comedy. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think I, um, I went to TAFE for a little bit and I, um, I studied, um, film and television, but like maybe two episodes, two, like I did assert two and three, and then that was fucking boring. And I, I worked at the airport at the time. Um, being a baggage handler and working on the, you know, and I, I liked that job. I never found anything I, I really enjoyed. Everything was just work. And then it wasn't till, but all these things happen. I don't know. You, you don't have to have like, oh, I fucked up. And then next year I'm fucking great. No. It took four years of me to find who I was. And that even when I, I eventually, like I, I worked for a TV show as like kind of like a cameraman and an underwater cameraman for a little while. Um, and that's kind of where I've enjoyed that cause you're always outside adventures and things like that. And it, I'd always love stand up and I, I gave it, a, I gave it a go and I, um, so when, so what age are you when you give stand up a go? And like, when you say you'd always loved it, had you, you'd watched it online or you'd watch like TV show, like what was it about stand, like listen to recordings? Was there it, some, it, something in particular that you'd liked? It's, it was recordings and, and, and VHSs and, mm. um, 
And uh, every year, even before the riot or whatever, and, you know, I suppose a thousand comedians have this story, but I used to tape the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Gala every year. I used to burn a fucking hole in that tape. I didn't, un- you know, that's why I get excited and I still do. And I mentioned it to you all the time. It's so exciting meeting you. It's so exciting meeting Husey. These are the people, it's so exciting. I got to fucking do a gig with Judith Lucy. It's, I'm living my dream. It's crazy. I would just watch that tape and I, I didn't understand it, but I'm like, whoa, I don't know what they're doing, but it's so funny. And, and uh, Pop gave us, where I first found stand-up was he had a tape of Billy Connolly, oh, yeah. and which everyone ha- has his story, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, is I fucking <laughs> love him so much. And he's such an inspiration and he fucking, I wanted to be Billy Connolly. And because well, also like Billy Connolly, for people who don't understand, like his background was incredibly hard and incredibly working class. Like you know, growing up around the docks and all that, like mining town, like stuff. Like I mean, he came from. You know, I assume there's Billy Connolly stories that are like similar to the stories that you've been, you know, telling me today, set in a different location, but very much about the same environment and hardness and, you know, kind of forgotten or sidelined people, you know, from the mainstream view. And, you know, probably not to you just mentioned it then that I put those two connections together because Nan always, because my parents, my Nan's from, they're kind of Scottish and then then to on mum's side, they're Geordie, which is Newcastle. So it's very working class. You know, family of welders, docks, things like that. Not docks in fucking Newcastle, but um, it's very working class. Actually, there might be docks in Tockland. There's a f- anyway, it doesn't matter. And that he would go, she'd be like, you know, Nan would relate to Billy because they grew up fucking poor um, in Scotland. So that he was a working class hero. He was a man who suffered so much and he didn't have a lot, but was able to give so much back. And he kind of brought together kind of like music, he brought together a group of people, uh, working class people, and he became their champion. Mm-hmm. And I fucking love that because everyone, you know, like maybe other people got to enjoy theater and stuff like that, but the comedy became stand up comedy or w- was so working class. It was part of our, you know, identity. And that's how kind of like it was set up to me. And that's how I kind of and even in Perth, when you started, you know, comedy, I mean, comedy's obviously changed and ever evolving and fucking there's different styles. There's Monty Python later and blah, blah, blah. But to me, it was kind of like, you know, it's uh, the working class man's outlet of their ideas and have a good time and have a beer. Well, a lot of it was, you know, again, was that idea of making fun of, like, particularly like when we talk about Connolly, like the thing that I think that I loved about him the most when I was a young kid and, you know, we weren't working – I mean, we're farmers. Like, it's a weird mix of, like, you know, it, class in Australia is a weird thing at the best of times anyway. But, yeah, but you're you workers. Know, you know what a hard day's work yeah. is. If you work on a farm, you you're work fucking for, working. You work for a living and you're yeah. surrounded by people who work for a living and, like, most of the people we knew were of that working class, absolutely. You know, that is – you know, I'm from a timber mill town and, like, you know, this is – you know, the, the, com- the industries around my community were all sort of, you know, predominantly working class industries. But Connolly, I didn't get this at the time because I just loved how he wasn't impressed by fanciness. In fact, yeah. he felt he, like he thought it was all ridiculous. Like, you know, yeah. poshness, snobbery, unearned entitlement. Like he just like constantly thought that stuff was – and that's 
the thing that I still to this day because I find all that stuff so ridiculous and anyone who has this unearned authority or thinks because of the school they went to or the blah, blah, blah they have that they're somehow more special or interesting than anybody else. I still to this day, that's my prevailing you know, I love just how ridiculous he thought posh people were or boring people were, you know. It was Yeah, and that's kind of where we I mean, we've yeah. kind of you always have that rivalry between, you know, well to do people or whatever the fuck it is. And but I do I still remember like Billy like it was a st- like an interview or something, Billy being Billy, like, you know, because he is Billy Connolly, he's one of the biggest comedians. And they give him this for his gig, they give him this fucking, you know, room at the Ritz or some shit. And it's like a suburb. But Billy doesn't like a big room because he grew up in a fucking two bedroom with five mm-hmm. people. So he's like, I was, I was having a fucking panic attack in this big room. So <laughs> he had to go back downstairs and request a tiny room. And they were like, yeah. but we can't give you one because you're Billy Connolly. He's like, I just want a fucking small room, yeah. you know? Like him just getting overwhelmed in that situation is still great to me, you know? Just cruising okay, so- around on a motorbike, speaking to people. I love it. Oh. I mean, yeah, I, I, I forgot about the motorbike connection. That would be right up your alley, oh. the idea of... We like, used to watch it religiously. And it's yes. just him on the three-wheeler and just not a care in the world. And then how he just talks about the love of motorcycles where you just hear the roar of the engine, the wind, and you meet so many more people and you have so many more great connections by not being in a car. When you stop into a town and have a yarn and speak to people there, that's what a holiday is. That's a good time. Uh, so you, how old are you when you start doing comedy then? So I think I would, I would say 21, maybe or, or, uh, a good friend of mine also passed away around that time. And that kind of gave me like a catalyst to go like, you haven't been doing anything you wanted. You've got to fucking risk everything. And my mate Dave, um, died. And that was kind of a point where I'm like, man, life's so fucking short. You got to go. And, um, I was like, all right, I'll do comedy. And I did raw comedy and the first set went great. And then this next week or the week after I had to come back for the semifinals and I thought, which is a, you know, I thought I had to do a new set and I <laughs> rewrote a new set <laughs> and it bombed uh-huh. so fucking bad. Like it did, like I'm talking nothing for five minutes, um, but I, um, I did so, I did so good the week before that I thought that would count. And so I, yeah. I hung around, even though I bombed. <laughs> I, I, bro- I, didn't, I broke the cardinal rule of comedy. It's when you bomb, you fucking leave. Don't make just, eye contact and yeah, fuck off. Just fuck off. Yeah. Like, get out of there. Yeah. Don't make it uncomfortable for yourself. Mm. Don't make it uncomfortable for anybody else there who has to lie to you at your face and tell you it went fine. Just go. Even my best mates, I'm like, you know the rules, no eye contacts and see you yeah. later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and I was like, obviously didn't get through. And I was like, why am I hanging here? You fucking idiot. So I like, I get out of the, get out of the car park. There's a bottle shop. I grab a bottle of Jamison on the way through. And this guy goes, I asked, <laughs> this guy pulls up in, I think it was like a Hilux or some shit. Winds a window down and like pretty funny on his part. He's smiling at me and he's like, man, are you that comedian on that was on just before? We saw you a couple of weeks ago. And I was like. Yeah, 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 that was me. And he goes, you fucking suck. (laughs) (laughs) And then he just drove off. And I was like, oh. And then could not have got home quicker and just put a fucking dent in the Jamison bottle. Mm. Didn't do stand-up for about another two or three years later. Wow. Um, And then... 
and a mate started doing it and I thought I could do better. But then again, that's like, I mean, you know, there's, I mean, this is a whole different, different yarn, but you know, I was, I was Brett Blake from, um, the suburbs trying to fit into an art scene. And, um, and I didn't quite know how to fit into that world because no one did fucking drama at our school. If you did drama, fucking hell, there was like maybe three people did drama. Men did not do drama at our school. You know, I wish it was a different world, but at the time that's how it happened. Um, and so me going into this world, I had to kind of be secretive, not tell my friends and stuff like that. And, um, I didn't know how to fit into comedy. So I, I wore a cardigan. I was like, well, that looks artsy. <laughs> I was just, I was like, fucking that, that's kind of like, Ooh, he's quirky. He's quirky. Um, so I used to wear a cardigan on stage for about a year or something, or maybe two years, maybe. But were your jokes still about your life and like you and like, uh, or no. were you trying to pretend to be something to fit in? I think I was, when I started, I was trying to, because f- you watch comedy and you go, well, that's what people are laughing at. That's yeah. how I'll do that. And then that guy on stage, most of them were kind of like beta males. If you want to fucking put a thing on, I was like, oh, hey, oh, I'm awkward in this situation. I didn't know what to do. And oh, don't fight me. So you kind of, you're going, oh, well, that's what works. So. I'll kind of duplicate that and hopefully that, and that did translate to laughs pretty quickly, but then I had to have a cardigan on, which, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but then my mates started coming to the show and then they'd be like, what the fuck are you wearing your fucking cardigan cardigan for? I'm like, dude, it's the fucking arts. You fucking don't get it. All right. You work at Jason's windows. It's different. Right. People in the arts wear cardigans. They're like, well, no one else was wearing a cardigan. Yeah. And then, but I'd still be like, like uh, I mean, I, I get so much shit about it now, which is, yeah. that's just comedy, but yes. it's, I'd still be holding like a Bundy and Coke in these photos, but having mm. a cardigan on, it's like, just yeah. pick a lane, brother. That's right. Yeah. It's a real, the cardigan is, isn't fooling uh, anyone with that Bundy and Coke can no, in your hand. But in a way as well, you're kind of, the people you're around, you don't, mm. you don't, when you walk into these things, you don't go oh, this is where the fuck I'm from and this is who I am. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. You kind of just give them the stories that kind of make you fit into their bubble. Yeah. And for a long time I was fitting into their bubble and then when I moved to Melbourne, I moved to Melbourne maybe two or three years into doing stand-up comedy and um, moving to Melbourne was, you know, I looked like I was from Melbourne. I was wearing a cardigan and stuff. I was trying to, you know, I, I spent so long trying to fit in to what I thought people wanted it took so many fucking i bombed so hard for so long in melbourne it was a real wake-up call comedy wise perth because you're a big fish in a small pond there's like fucking 12 comedians so to be to be not the worst ones not that hard you come to melbourne there's like fucking 500 comedians and now there's probably 5,000. it's it's so hard to navigate and fit in and and then you know like i wasn't getting gigs i wasn't getting spots and then and I'm like, oh, fuck. And then it was just so much effort, you know, and I was, I just kind of, I kind of went probably elastic band further back till I was like, whoa, this is who I am. And, and then I probably, you know, there's probably jokes I did, which were like, oh, I'm a big tough guy or some shit. And, you know, and that's like five or six years ago or seven years ago. And now I just finally feel comfortable enough to, and not always last year, I didn't do it enough. Um, the year before I had two years before I did a show about having ADHD in high school and stuff like that. And the next show I'm 
going to try and do is going to be about this riot, which won't mm. be next year. I need to have a breather. I need time to still absorb it all and fucking go over it. Um, yeah, it's kind of just trying to get, it sounds so stupid, but it's trying to go back to who you are, which is fucking hard sometimes. Okay. But yeah, it's interesting to me because one of the things that I really, and this, you know, we, we all try to fit in and yeah. I, you know, myself could tell you a million boring stories about all the dumb mistakes I made when I first started doing comedy in the, you know, when I thought I was doing what you were meant to do as opposed to trusting my own voice or my own mm. instincts or any of those sort of things. You know, that whole idea of, you know, fake it until you make it can sometimes be very helpful, but it can also sometimes be terrible, terrible advice because 100%. sometimes it's okay to say that you don't know and that you don't understand and that you don't, you know, need to pretend to be somebody else. But what I love about your material, like, and and you as a performer and what where you are at the moment is that I think that people, if they're first kind of discovering you now, so for the majority of a broader audience, you're starting to be somebody that they discovered. You know, you've, you've worked your way now through the scene. You've, you know, people within the scene and the industry know you. You've kind of worked your way up to bigger crowds and having your own following. But now you're starting to pop out, you know, into places where people who haven't followed that journey, they don't know about – you know, Cardigan Brett. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope they never find out, you know. Um, but it's really interesting because I think that when somebody sees you or they maybe hear the sort of stories that you might tell, I think they expect that maybe that you are just that sort of, you know, brash, bogany, you know, loves motorbikes, you know, from the West, you know, drinking like, you know, West End cans or whatever the, you know, the thing is. Emu exports, say correctly. Emu exports, sorry, <laughs> mate. <laughs> but there is, you have got the cardigans inside you. Like, I mean, there is an emotional intelligence to who you are and, you know, what you do that clearly was evident, like why I think this story, you know, about this riot and this cop who gives you this chance in this moment and what he sees in you is that like within your stories you tell, there is always that kid who, you know, is going to hug his mum and be embarrassed by the fact that he's fucked up, you know, at the heart of it all. So it actually, you know, it's, I think it's the opposite way around now. Now you dress, you know, in the way that people expect you to be dressed, but they don't realise that you've got like a cardigan on underneath. You know, there's this emotional layer to what you do. that yeah. like You can be talking about the broadest or funniest or kind of crudest thing, but there's always much more to the story or the bit than just that sort of shock for shock's sake or story for story's sake. Do you Is that a fair observation from it's my a, point of it's view? It's a very fair and a very correct observation because before when you were, you know, like, you know, with your mates, you whatever, you, you know, you got the, when they're giving you shit about the cardigan, you're still like, well, you remember that time I fucking did this? And you're trying yeah. to, and now, <laughs> and now you go, well, I, you know, I wear black, yeah. you know, I got a mullet because I thought it'd be funny to ruin my brother's wedding photos, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, now it's kind of good to, you know, to, to dress, I mean, this is just how I like to dress or whatever, um, to look like this, but then it's way better to look, you know, to be who you are because then it can actually, and I don't have to do the other things. I can actually just be the world's nicest guy and I can just help people and I can, you know what I mean? I don't have to, because I look rough on the outside, it enables me to 
to get closer to some people and, and help help out. I don't know how to phrase that correctly, but you know what I mean? Like I, it gives me more of an opportunity to be helpful or be nice or be sincere, you know? Uh, so uh, this feels like a pretty natural place to, I ask people, the premise of this podcast is I ask people if they have a life philosophy of any kind. Yeah. Brett, so it, like you don't have to have one, by the way. It's not compulsory. It's just the hook of the podcast. You know, podcasts have got to have like a hook or an idea. Yeah. This is my hook or idea. I ask people if they have a life philosophy and it can be in relation to anything, work, life, love, even whether a two-stroke or four-stroke motorbike engine is best. I don't mind. But do you have a uh, life philosophy? I, I kind of have two. Mm. Um, one I've had most of my life and I, um, I got it off a, a, a globe skateboard poster. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's a good one though. It's, um, to each their own. So, and I think that means is everyone, you just need to do your own thing and what's kind of fucking true to you. And it doesn't matter what's happening around you and, you know, as long as you're not hurting anyone or fucking anyone over, you just got to be honest to yourself. And if you're honest to yourself and you're true to yourself and you do what's right for you, then like you really can't be fucked, you know, you're fucked yeah. over or be disappointed with your life, you know, like if you're a, I to mean, truth. To each their own is, is great. I love it because also I think, you know, the initial reading of to each their own, often I think people stop at, okay, I shouldn't get bothered by what someone else does, even though it's not like something that, you know, I would do or I would like or whatever it is. Like, you know, that's their thing. I don't need it, their thing to be my thing. But I think the more powerful part of it that I, that we never think of as much is this idea of, I think in comedy and entertainment, this happens a lot. I'm sure it probably happens across all the industries, but I just know comedy and entertainment, which is the amount of times I've had mates get angry that one of our friends or colleagues or someone we know gets some job and I'm going, did you want that job? And they're like, no, I would never take that job. And I'm like, well, then why are you angry that this other person got a job that you I mean at least if you aspired to the job or wanted it yourself I could go oh well that's fair enough like you're allowed to you know aspire to something and want something and they got it and you could be mad but why be yeah. mad about the fact that they got something that you don't want in the first place to each their own right yeah but also like you got to be honest with yourself and we all get in those situations sometimes when you're like Oh well, I didn't even get fucking asked to audition for that thing, and then you, and then like, and that's, you yeah. get called by my mates, which I got a good circle of friends. Like, oh, did you want that job, Brett? Mm. Will you have to read off a teleprompter? No. Well, then shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, and probably. You're like, oh, yeah, probably yeah, yeah. don't be annoyed about not being in the running for that thing that you <laughs> yeah. wouldn't want to do and would make your life more difficult. <laughs> yeah, and we all get jealous of people and stuff like that. But I think if you're happy within your fucking self, you know, to each their own, and you're finding what makes you happy and you're doing whatever that is, whether it, and it doesn't have to be anything important. People get stuck up and like, oh, I need a fucking climb Mount Everest and I need a journey of self-discovery. You could just really enjoy being a forklift operator or working at the airport. It's as simple as that. As long as you find your own thing and you're happy with the thing you're doing and, uh, and it doesn't really matter what everyone else is doing and what they think's cool or whatever, you, you just got to stay kind of true to yourself. Yeah. Okay, so you said you had two. So to yeah. each their own is the first one. What's the second one? Well, the second one's uh, my missus fucking has started coining as well and just keeps saying it all the time. It's just kind of a one that like it just kind of gives you a good reality check. It's like I always say, mate, it'll all be something. So 
she sometimes, like my partner and other people around me, people sometimes get worked up about a situation because they, they go, oh, fuck, I don't know if I'm going to get this or it's going to be negative, it's going to be positive, it's going to be good. It's gonna be... At the end of the day, it's all going to be something, whether it's good, bad or whatever. doesn't matter what the equation is. You're just going to have to react to it and you're going to have to react to it in a way that you can move forward. So whether it's positive or negative, everything that's positive has a bit of shit in it. And, you know, sometimes things are bad or whatever. I think... It's all going to be something. Take a breath in and just move forward. Yeah. Okay. I like that too. They're yeah. both good. Um, what do you think happens when we die, Blake? <laughs> um, what, what do I wish happened? What I wish would happen mm-hmm. is I get to go hang out with my grandparents. That would be sick. I would, I would love that. I get to hang out with my dog that passed away. That would be great in this, in, you know, in the, whatever they're trying to sell you at, at the fucking at the Sunday school or whatever, that would be kind of nice. But I yeah, don't. Th- that's the that's the bit of the product they're trying to flog you. Yeah. That is gets you gets a lot of people across the line. Yeah, yeah. you're going to get to see Nana and your dog again. You know what I mean? Like that is, of course, we all want that part of it. Yes. Yeah. You want you want to believe that mm. the used car you're buying has only had one owner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't, yeah. and it hasn't been in the shed ever. Um, <laughs> okay. I think that's three good bits of advice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would love that, and I would love. I would. I wish that was the case. Um, I, the answer is I don't really know because no one does. That's the fucking thing. Um, but I kind of like, if you, you know, I think we're kind of, I don't know, all atoms and all energy and we're just all spying around in the fucking universe and I'm in this shape now. But then I don't know anything. This is why when I, you know, sometimes I get on the green and you start overthinking it. But like, I don't understand where my conscience comes from. You know what I mean? I understand physically how it all works or you know, the body, but where, where Brett, where the fuck did this, the in me, where did I come? I don't understand that. So, and it, maybe you could be reincarnated. There's parts of all religion. I, I kind of get my, my granddad was, was Buddhist. So we, we kind of, I kind of lent more that way. Um, with thinking, but then again, I don't know when you come back, would you have memories of whatever? And would you want those memories? Would you like to start fresh? Um, I, I don't know is what my answer is. I mean, of course the answer is I don't know. It's the only answer yeah. you could possibly give. You've got to be suspicious of anyone who tells you that they yeah. do know because nobody knows. But <laughs> Really, I think, I think that, it's the sea of black, which scares the yeah. fuck out of me. Uh, I have the same issue as you though because this is where it gets tricky right because i believe like i mean as much as i believe anything like the theory i subscribe to most strongly that feels right to me is that we were nothing beforehand and we'll be nothing again and we're a weird quirky accident in the corner of the universe and you know for whatever reason this is what it is but then if you take that to be the thing the right thing the you know the prevailing wisdom of the day if you will then the thing that becomes tricky is why this right why brett and why is brett like how brett is and why am i like how i am if i don't care if i don't care that i'm going to be it's the thing that often religious people can't get their head around around people who aren't religious is like well like if you don't think there's a heaven or a hell why are you good or bad and 
there is part of me that's like, yeah, why? Why am I? Like, what is that? Where does that come from? Like, some of it's about society's structures. Some of it's inherently who you are, though, because you, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, what like, I mean, the idea what, of not having religion and just going around, oh, okay, yeah. well, there's no. I'm just gonna go around stabbing people. It's like I don't enjoy that before. No. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I get a hundred. I get a hundred percent of. I find religion. I find it's an easy to subscribe. You know what I mean? Yes. It's an easy subscription and great. And as long as you know, and religion, I've got mixed fucking thoughts about because of you know, have a look at history. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, please have a look. Yeah. Um, I don't want to. I don't, I don't no, want to read the books. I've, you've heard. You've, I've you've heard, got the gist. I've got the vibe. <laughs> the energy is not always electric. Um, <laughs> You know, so, but then you look at the way, yeah. you know, Buddhists and, and stuff think about stuff, but then, you know, grand, my granddad, um, you know, he was also a contradiction of that religion, you know, but he used to fucking smoke. So like, I, yeah, I find religion, religion, overwhelming, baffling, confusing. And what do I think is going to happen at the end of this? Um, what I hope is what they're selling us, what I think is, we just, uh, we're just a glimpse in time and it never fucking mattered. And so then how do you have, I guess, that moral compass through life? How do you guide your life? Like, you know, when you think about, you know, who you want to be, what motivates that? I think life is hard and just try not to make it hard for people around you. So, you know, like everyone's got their own shit and it's all scalable, you know, whether you live in different countries and things like that, you know, they could say, well, this is what I do every day and that's hard, but everyone's got their own battle and they've got their own set of things that are difficult to them in their circumstances. And when I kind of go through life, I try and make every opportunity that I can that's available to me. I tr decisions I make, I try not to let impact other people around and fuck their world. So I just try and be a good person is what I'm trying to say. And I think that is, I mean, it's simple, but sometimes the, the simplest things are the easiest things and the correct things. Uh, do you have a comedic philosophy, what it is that you're trying to do on stage? Like, is there something um, that, you, I mean, I know this is hard to talk about sometimes is no, the, the, uh, like, you know, but is there, when you think about, you know, Hey, I'm going to do a show or Hey, I'm going to do sets or Hey, this is the sort of comedian I'm going to be. Is there some sort of, you know, thought behind what you think that is and what motivates that my main thought when writing comedy and and performing is i am there to give you an escape from your world a lot of people have different thoughts about what comedy is and layers and styles and shit like that at the end of the day is i'm i'm brett blake i'm a pub comic i um that's where i grew up in i'm a club comic i i will show you parts of my life um, to make you laugh and to make you feel better about yours, which internally makes me feel good about that bad situation I've just talked about. <laughs> so it's a fucking symbiotic relationship, you know? Yeah. It's like, how do I make, um, you know, my bleeding dick in a wheelchair funny so I can deal with that trauma and you have a laugh with it? So it's a mutual relationship, but that's how I go in with it. It's like, I've got nothing political or smart to say or whatever, but I just want to, I just, you know, let's all have a laugh at something together and let's try and make each day a little bit better I suppose and if you leave the night going fuck that was pretty funny when your dad did that or I did that or that was crazy thing your friend did I have a friend like that then it makes these weird things that happen to us on our lives more like fucking easy to absorb or be more palatable or whatever the fucking word is yeah I 
I think you undersell yourself a little, which is fair enough as an Australian. Like it's very common for us to undersell ourselves a little, but I think there is a lot of politics at the heart of what you do. Like it might not be like, you know, here's this joke about things that are in – you know yeah. the like the political zeitgeist he's a reference yeah. to anthony albanese or whatever like you know like but there is a lot of politics at the heart of what you do when you talk about like class or experience or you know what your voice or kindness or perspective on these situations is that is what clearly like i think elevates you know what you're doing and what people are connecting with i uh, i am conscious of the fact that you know we have 12 minutes left of recording time and i still have a bunch of questions to ask you so i'm gonna barrel on and ask you some more of these questions if you don't mind what is the best or worst piece of advice that you've ever got or either both but i just like so either a really good piece of advice or a really bad piece of advice i mean so many fucking bad bits of advice you get given I love uh, a bad one. I, I I always enjoy hearing a terrible piece of advice. Um, I the, I mean, it's not a like a real mm. specific one. I mean, I've you know I've worked in construction and labour yards for long periods of time. I've had some fucking awful bits of advice yeah. that you probably can't repeat. But like the one that you know st- sticks out is like it's kind of like that. Doesn't matter what you do, always give it one hundred and ten percent. And I, <laughs> when you think about that, yeah. fuck no. It's a like, bad man. Bad it's a bad one advice. because. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh, and that's that's what a CEO would say mm. to a bunch of fucking, that's what Jeff Bados or whatever his name is would say to his fucking underpaid Amazon staff yeah. or whatever. It's Give a, it 110%. Of, you're the need, secret of the on. company. I need to get another spaceship to the fucking moon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I reckon give the, unless it's something you love, give the absolute minimum amount mm. required that doesn't exhaust you so you can go home and enjoy the things you do like, you know? Yes. Okay, good. I like that. That's very good. Burn yourself out fucking working at a, you know, a bottle shop or electronic Mm. shop or whatever the job may be. Not that there's anything wrong with those jobs. No, 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 no. But don't burn yourself out. Don't burn yourself out for somebody else's passion or for somebody else's life. Like if there's something that you're passionate about, the last thing you want to do is like, you know, be passionate about raising your kids and then like, you know, burn yourself out, working hard on a job that doesn't actually matter instead of spending some time with your kids or whatever it is. Yeah, like, because you feel the need to, yeah. oh, I've, oh, I've got to be a, I've got to be a corporate person and I've got to be a mum no. and I've got to, oh, I've got to appear to be this. It's like, no, no, just put the energy into the thing you love. And then mm. the other thing, give it the bare amount of minimum so they don't fire and then move on. It's, you know, funnily enough, it, like I think that's a good attitude for life and it is one of those things that sometimes you can get wrong anyway because like if you go at 110% all the time, you're just going to burn out and fuck something up. Not everything needs to be done at 110%, right? Like, you know, at some stage you've got to – like if an AFL player went out on the field and just sprinted like everywhere that they went, they, at halftime they'd fall over and like out of exhaustion. At some stage you've got to not be going 110%. You've got to t- take a time for a rest. Then like I say this to – there's times, you know, when we're making the tally and stuff where we'll be talking about something and I will literally just sometimes say, we've already spent too much time thinking about this than what the issue is that like who yeah. cares – one or yeah. the other, like we're da- like we talked Fucking about it. On. We Let's talked go. about it for way way too long. It's yeah. fine. Don't whatever it is. Sometimes it's good to find some stuff in. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, <laughs> just yeah. Okay, it, the jacket we're wearing is blue. Like, my, yeah. Don't fucking okay. care. Just that'll do. Let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's we got to move make forward. A decision. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many of those people who are like, oh, let's fucking focus on this. You're like, oh, who gives a shit? Yeah. Just fucking let's go. That's not important. Move on. Uh, um, yeah, would you prefer to know um, when you die or how you die? 
When or how? Yeah. Ooh. If you had to pick one or the other, when or how? Fuck. When or how? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with how. Okay. And do you think that if you found out how you were going to die, you would then avoid doing that thing? Like if it was, you know, if it was oh. something you could avoid, do you think you would avoid it or will you just go, okay, well, at some stage that's going to happen. So I, I, might as well. I already know how I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I already know. I, it's, it's Motorcycle accident. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be doing. It's not. It might not necessarily be a motorbike. It'll be or a be or a mountain bike. It'll be because those. those sometimes, when, like I ride motorbikes, and sometimes off by myself in the middle of nowhere, and I, you know I've got GPS and stuff. That's a risk you're willing to take for the amount of enjoyment you get. I have the most fun time in my life, but I also know it's extremely dangerous and it's very high risk. And that is something I'm willing to do. And if it's not, if I find out, oh, it's motorbike riding, I better stick to mountain bike riding, I'll keep putting myself in that same situation. So it doesn't matter what it is. The thing I would hate to know is when, because then I'd be like, I'm dying next week. Well, then I fucking, I better just, you know what I mean? I'd have too much anxiety about it. Whereas if you're like, (laughs) but also if you said, man, you died on a dirt bike, I'd be like fucking sick. Yeah, nice. (laughs) Died doing what he loved. He died doing what he loved. (laughs) Yeah. And and then that means I can continue to be happy now. (laughs) Um, Okay. So um, uh, I used to have on my desk a little inspirational slogan i don't know where it's gone it got packed up somewhere and i haven't been able to find it again but it said uh what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail um so like the success is guaranteed that's off the table you don't have to worry about whether you're good at it or bad at it you're going to be good at it you're going to attempt something and it's going to work you're going to nail it what would you attempt if you knew you could not fail now the thing i would attempt to do was the dumbest thing someone tried to do and did not succeed. Okay. What, 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 okay, great. I love it. What is it? So in the 19, I want to say sixties, there was a stunt guy called yep. the mad Canadian. Okay. Um, now I can't, he's got a, a, a documentary about him called the devil at your heels. It's a fucking great documentary. Watch it. Um, I can't remember his name. It's, it's, oh, I'm so bad with names. Anyway, He's called the Mad Canadian, um, and it was a time Evil Knievel was big in America, but he was the Mad Canadian, you know? He yeah. was going head-to-head with Evil Knievel with all these stunts. And Ken his, Carter. Ken Carter. Ken Carter. That's the yes. guy. Now, Ken Carter um, was – he used to go to different tracks. He'd jump cars, and, you know, he was the guy. Um, the documentary is great. I won't give away too much about it, but watch it. So he was a big stunt performer or whatever, and he had this crazy idea um, to jump – a, he had a Lincoln Continental and he put a jet engine in a Lincoln Continental, which doesn't make any sense, right? And then he wanted to jump over this lake in Canada to set yeah. the world record. Guess how, how long the lake was, Will? Uh, I mean, uh, like, okay, so he's going to try to jump over it. Yeah. It's, it, look, it's like what would be impressive? 200 metres, 200 metres. Cute. 1.6 kilometres. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a jump. You can't jump something 1.6. Like you can fly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not even, but that's why I love it. Yeah, right. So it was one mile, which is roughly 1.6 k, this lake. 
So, but please watch his documentary. It's actually incredible. Yeah. Um, so he set up this jump. It's like scaffolding. It's so bad. Like you look at it and I'm not a physicist or a physics guy or whatever. You go, that can't work. I'm a, you know what I mean? There's no way you'd have to be going a thousand Ks, but he's got a jet engine in a Lincoln Continental. So I love the, so he did this big event. He got, he was telling people he's going to set it. Um, worldwide sports got behind it. They wanted to film it. It's going to be the biggest jump in the world. And they put a lot of money behind it. So much so- money behind it. They even sent the evil can evil over to check it out. Mm. And evil can evil said, this is fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but that did not stop the mad Canadian. Right. But the thing is about the mad Canadian, which you'll see in the doco on, on the day, he actually didn't like jumping cars that much. He kind of liked the stuff after it, getting drunk, right. hooking up yeah. with ladies yeah. or whatever. So on the day, it's raining, it's bad. Mm. He goes, he, he he does one attempt. He does like multiple attempts and the jet engine blows up heaps of times, obviously. And then maybe six months later, finally happening. It's costing him millions of dollars. He's got sponsorship to jump this fucking thing. And um, on the day he pulls out, he pulls out of this jump. And then, uh but that doesn't bother the wild world of sports because they've paid his, an understudy, which was right. his best friend. <laughs> which it, this is why the documentary is so good. It's like, who are we going to yeah. get? Oh, the guy that always jumps for you? Yes. Um, and that guy's name is Kenny Powers, which is loosely. What is that I, right? Yeah, yeah it's, funny. It, it, yeah, it's Kenny Powers. And, I, and um, he's never admitted that's who this guy, that character yeah. ba- was based on Eastbound and Down, but surely has to be. Mm. So Kenny Powers jumps into the rocket car. Now, you know, it's a scientific event. It's huge. It's everything. Um, so they don't, but he, the car's molded to his body. And they said to Kenny Powers, you can't jump anyway because you've already got a broken neck and you have to jump in this suit. He's, he's already fucked up. But that doesn't stop Kenny Powers. So Kenny Powers, because he wants the bravado of doing something that Ken couldn't, hits the gas, goes towards the ramp, but the seat isn't adjusted correctly to his height, so he can't mm. get the accelerator pedal fully to the ground, <laughs> which doesn't really matter anyway because he's not going to fucking make it. And then he hits this jump, all this scaffolding tower. Guess how far he gets, Will? Uh, I'm going to say 30 metres. <laughs> well, he got 150 metres. Okay, Pretty impressive. That's all right. That's um, actually all right. I, the, I originally thought it was 200 metres, so that would have got him pretty close on yeah, my yeah, measurements. Yeah, yeah. He's nearly really impressed you. Um, and to me, that is still the craziest thing I've ever yeah. seen and impossible, and there's all these naysayers around it. So if I had one opportunity to yes. do anything that I couldn't fail at, it would be that, just yes. so I could look at the scientific community going, huh? Huh? Who's right now, you dickheads? You I know? mean, that would be amazing. Yeah, it would that's be amazing. A, that is also the best answer that I've ever had to that question. <laughs> so, well done. Congratulations. One more question and we're done. Brett Blake, by the way, uh, where can people find you if they want to, like, you know, uh, where's the best place for, you know, if people have listened to this, they've got to the end of this podcast, they obviously can go to tofop.com, which is where all my podcasts are. If they want to uh, check out any of the other things that I'm doing, or comedy.com.au is a good place to check out where my tour dates are. I'm doing my improvised shows, what you're talking about, Will, uh, at the moment, but some other shows as well. Brett, also you can find uh, touring dates at comedy.com.au for you. But uh, what can what else can people check out of yours, mate? 
Um, yeah, just follow us on Instagram. That's where all my information is, at Brady Blake. And then I've just started my YouTube channel because I'm going to release a special in the next two or three months up there. So if you would like to see me do stand-up comedy, check out my uh, YouTube channel and give it a subscribe. It all, it all bloody helps. So get around it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, good plug. Okay, final question. Thank you so much for doing this today, by the way. I have a time machine. I can take you forward in time. I can take you back in time. It is one trip. It is a round trip. You can visit yourself. You can ignore yourself. You can just go to some moment in history that you'd like to visit or some moment in the future that you'd like. doesn't yeah. matter. Up to you. But what, where would you like to go in your time machine? I would like to go to the Wild West. Oh, yeah. I... I there's something about that life where you're just on a horse riding around, like, you know, you're robbing gold from a train mm. or something. Mm. You're at a saloon, you're getting drunk, you're playing cards. I don't know. This all seems like I just love this. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously you can tell from that. I love a lawless environment. Yes. And I feel like just cruising around campfires, you know, I just feel like it'd be so awesome. And there's no social media. There's no pressure to do anything. There's just, you just get to enjoy I don't know, life it seems, even though it's hard, but everything is hard. So I, I would love to go back there and just live a life like that. And you die at 30, so it's all over pretty quick. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can absolutely see you as a cowboy, by the way. I would that love makes it. a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Brett Blake, for doing this. I really appreciate it, mate. Mate, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate being here. Listener.